Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast, brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care. I'm Scott Guthrie, the neonatologist, the state project leader for the Tennessee Tiniest Babies Project, and the past infant medical director of PIPQC. One of the things that I like so much about these podcasts are the interesting people we get to have conversations with about topics that can help improve the care for mothers and babies, not only in Tennessee, but anywhere else where this podcast is being listened to. At times, the conversations in our podcast may be more relevant to the general public, and at times, more geared to medical staff. We have had some great interviews with parents and patients telling us about their experience and learning about how the healthcare system works for families in our state. This will be the case today as I talk with Ivana and Darius about their son, Ezekiel. I can guarantee you that their story will be captivating to everyone who listens to this episode. Ivana and Darius, I want to welcome both of you to our show today. You want to say hello to everybody? Hello. Hey, how y'all doing? All right, let me give a brief introduction for our audience and describe to them where we are and exactly what is going on. So we are actually sitting in a neonatal intensive care unit right now. Your son has been a patient in this neonatal intensive care unit for 84 days and counting. Also know that you have both been very involved in his care and have a story to tell that is going to be important to all of our listeners. So let's start by, uh, let me just get you to tell something about yourself, both of you. Ivana, why don't you start? Tell us a little bit about yourself. And then Darius, let's hear from you. Okay. Well, when I was younger, I was adopted. I was brought into a very loving family. I grew up playing sports, loved my education and I was actually in college and my major was nursing and I was cheering in college just being a teenager before all this happened. I played football in high school, loved it, was hoping to go far with it but got injured, had a risky injury that almost took a lot away from me but I came back and now, I got the biggest blessing in the world. That's awesome. And that's why I'm really excited that I get to sit down and talk with you about this. I can tell you all got a good relationship, mm-hmm. and especially with what we're getting ready to talk about with your little guy, Ezekiel. Y'all have put a lot of time and effort with him while you've been in the neonatal intensive care unit. So, uh, Ivana, tell us a little bit about your, your pregnancy and what happened there. How come Ezekiel was born so early? I asked myself that a lot. I was cheering in college and I was taking birth control. And so I didn't really think much of anything. And then in May, I found out that I was pregnant. I went to my school clinic and they told me four to six weeks. And then in June, I found out it was actually 17 weeks. So I didn't know about a lot of my pregnancy in the beginning. And then 
I was just going to doctor's appointments. And one day they told me that I needed to come to the doctor here. And that was the high risk doctor. And he told me that my cervix was thin and to go ahead and go on bed rest. So that's what I did. And he told me at that point that I would have probably another eight weeks to carry. And like during that time, that week, I felt some contractions here and there, but he told me not to worry about it. It was an easy pregnancy. I mean, he had my morning sickness. All I did was eat. And then... A lot. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then later that week, next thing I know, I was in like that same week. Darius, what, did, uh, what were you thinking when you realized she was in labor? <laughs> well, at first, I didn't believe it <laughs> because we had just woke up from a nap. And she had asked me to go downstairs to get her a popsicle. And cereal. And cereal. (laughs) And this thing I know, all I hear is yelling upstairs and her mama shooting upstairs. And I'm like, (laughs) what's going on? I just paused in front of everything. I dropped the popsicles on the floor, the the cereal in the sink. I just, I ain't killing no wind. And I sat up there. Her mama said, Time to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you got to the hospital, and what, what happened next? It was scary. I mean, I started I started bleeding when I was at my house. And, I mean, when you're pregnant, that's not normally a good sign. So I was nervous. And then he carried me from the parking garage into the building. I got put in a wheelchair, And I was bleeding the whole time. So it was scary. And then we got put into the triage center and they kind of had us hanging out for a minute. Some doctors were coming in and out and then they started to examine me. And they said that my cervix was gone. That's why I was bleeding. There was nothing holding my baby in. And I was 10 centimeters dilated, ready to go. So they transferred me to labor and delivery. And that's when all the madness started. They gave me magnesium and that was terrible. It makes you feel so sick. They were giving me medication to help slow down my labor. They were giving me medication because my blood pressure was low. Every time I had a contraction, the baby's heart would slow down. And so they kept putting me in different positions for that. Doctors come in every 10 minutes to check on you. There's always somebody who wants to examine you and whatever. So you don't get a lot of rest. Everybody hears that you're going into labor. So everybody wants to talk to you outside of your family. And then around like 12, I got an epidural. And it was great. I loved it for a couple of hours. And then it wore off. But I still couldn't feel anything in my legs. Like I couldn't move. But I could still feel the contractions. And my back was in like excruciating pain. And I was telling them like, I'm still hurting. I'm still hurting. And they would come in and make adjustments. But it was just terrible. And I would wake up every 30 minutes in pain, crying. It was awful. And then at like two, that next day, I had him. 
It was scary. It was really scary. Yeah, so this is pretty quick from the time you everything started, you coming into the hospital, people trying to do the things that they can to, to help you mm-hmm. to delay your pregnancy. So let me ask some questions about that for a second, because mm-hmm. as, a, as a doctor, we try to communicate information so we can prepare moms, and dads, family members, things that they're, they're getting ready to experience. Mm-hmm. Think back about that time period. And I know it's just like a complete blur and there's so much going on, but what, could we have done to have better communicated information to you so you'd be prepared for these these next 84 days that you've had so far? I think after the fact, like after everything happened, we would have doctors come to us and be like, well, there was somebody who was supposed to come down from the NICU and explain this to you or explain mm-hmm. this to you. But the night that we came in, like we had some NICU nurses in and like, introduce themselves and tell us what would happen after we had the baby as far as like him being taken and intubated and all that stuff. But we didn't get a rundown of like the risks of having a preemie baby or anything like that. So when we heard things about IVH or the heart murmurs or all that stuff, it was always brand new information as we were finding out that he had it. And we never really got told about any of it beforehand. So it was all really new and scary really fast. So I think just like really making sure that patients who are coming in and who are having those preemie babies are getting all of that information beforehand so that it's not so much of a scare or anything like that, if it does. A lot of sense. Let's talk about your delivery for a second. Ask you, Darius, mm-hmm. first. She was the one that was going through it. Yeah. But what do you remember about the, the actual delivery? Well, well, first, what she did not tell you was when she was on the way to the delivery room, as I was carrying her, she got blood on every piece of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shoes, shirts, pants, anything you could think of. Socks. I don't know how they got there, but she had blood everywhere. But as the dad, I'm excited. So I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out what's going on. She's a nurse. She was a nursing major before this. And so I didn't she kinda knew what to what to expect. But me going into it as a coaching major, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. And I was just trying to figure out what to do next and trying to figure out what can I do to keep her calm and to keep her relaxed. And so as Ezekiel was born, she then proceeded <laughs> to pee on everybody in the room. <laughs> oh, my water broke on everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but seeing his face, it was like magic, though, because we never thought that we would even be in this position. Like, we wouldn't even, we thought in the beginning that we didn't, like, we wasn't ready for a child at all. But seeing him, it instantly clicked, like the parent in us clicked. Mm-hmm. And we just 
it was love at first sight. Savannah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but as you reflect on what you remember from the delivery, let's include like what Ezekiel's gestational age was too. So tell everybody how many weeks he was and then tell us what you remember about the delivery. So he was 26 weeks and two days when he was born. And the delivery happened really fast. They came in at like two that day, Saturday. And I told them I was just in a lot of pain. I was really uncomfortable. And they examined me and they were like, okay, it's time to push. And then all of a sudden, so many doctors just kind of flooded the room. When it's go time, it's go time. And so they kind of made sure all of the doctors had everything that they needed to have, make sure, you know, everybody was where they needed to be. And then I was talking to him and my mom and about how I was nervous and they noticed that and they stepped in and they kind of calmed me down, explained to me like what I was going to have to do. I was scared to push because he was so little and I didn't want to do too much or not do enough. I mean, I've never had a baby before, so it was nerve wracking, but the first push was my water bag and it did get everywhere all over my mom, the nurses, him, and it was held over my head for weeks. And then the second push was him. I didn't even know he was out until somebody was like, hey, here he is. And it was crazy. Like, I felt bad. I felt guilty because I felt like if I could have just endured the pain a little longer, then he could have stayed in longer. And I felt like that for a really long time. But people do a really good job of assuring you that none of what's happening is in your control. Like once it starts happening, it's just going to happen. And the only thing that they can do and that you can do is whatever's best for your baby. And that's exactly what they did. And you don't get to just hold them afterward and all that stuff. And so it was hard, but being able to see him and seeing everybody's faces, like it really warmed my heart. Although I do want to mention when I pushed out and, you know, did the miracle of life thing and I looked to my boyfriend, you would only imagine the face of disgust he had (laughs) at all of the bodily fluids. I was really just dumbfounded, but they let us see him after they got him taken care of. And it was great. It really was because it does suck in the moment, but it's what's best for him. They're saving his life doing what they have to do. So it was the best it could have been. I think. And I didn't pass out. <laughs> That's good. I love hearing you describe the miracle of birth, the, the miracle of life. So early on, you know, Ezekiel was noted to have something called an intraventricular hemorrhage. This is a a very serious brain bleed that sometimes premature babies can have for all kinds of different reasons. And certainly what you shared with us about all the things that were going on and surrounding your pregnancy probably contributed to that. But TIPQC has been leading this statewide project where we're trying to reduce the chance of this occurring around our state. We're getting all level three and four neonatal intensive care units around the state to be involved in this. 
because there are some things that we can do actually in the neonatal intensive care unit and immediately after a baby is born decrease the risk of this unfortunately when even things are done right something like this can still happen and that that's what happened to y'all and this is why i specifically wanted you to share your story you know, i want parents that are listening to this who might be going through the same thing I want medical professionals who are listening to this to learn how we can better communicate with moms and dads things like this when they happen i know this might be tough to talk about but tell us how you learned that Ezekiel had had a brain injury. It's crazy how, like, some things you just really can't remember and other is like it happened yesterday. We still had a room in L&D, but we were in his room in the NICU because we were talking to the lactation specialist and she was going over everything. And Mr. Mann, that's what we call him, he was doing so good that day, they wanted to use him for an educational video. And so, wow, I was talking to the lactation specialist. They were doing that with him. And then he ended up going back to the room after we were done so he could use the restroom. That was before we knew that bathrooms were in the NICU. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the doctor came in after everybody left and explained to us that he had a period of apnea and There are certain things that can happen because of that. And one of them was IVH. And she explained that there were different levels to it. She explained the difference between the grade one through the grade four and explained that the grade four is the worst that he could have. And she said that he did have a brain bleed and he had two. One was a three and one was a four. And even though he was not in the room, he was on the phone. And it was hard for us in that moment because I'm trying to talk to the doctor and he wants to ask questions and I want to ask questions. And there's a lot of really high emotions and just fear. And as a mom and as a person who takes a lot of responsibility that maybe doesn't even, you know, belong to me. I felt guilty. I felt like I did something wrong. Like this was the end of the world. It, by the time I went back to our room in L&D, I was sobbing and questioning what the rest of our NICU journey was going to look like. Harris, what were you thinking? Well, when we first got the news, like she said, I was on the phone. And so, that really kind of, just that part kind of made me feel less of a father because, like, why wasn't I there? But after all of it, you know, she came to me and, you know, I consoled her and everything. And we talked about it and we just sat down and talked to God because that's all that, that's all that we could really do in that moment. Cause what what can you do? You first time parents, and you you learning out that your your son having this crazy thing going on that can affect him for the rest of his life, and this our first one, and so all you think is all the perfect, but nobody thinks that the imperfects will come so fast, but it did, and all we could was all we could do was take it with a with a grin and. Turn the other cheek and keep moving because if we didn't, then 
Mr. Man wasn't. So, like I, I always like to say, to have a better life or to live your best life, you have to have the best mindset. And that's what we have to do. We have to change our mindset so Mr. Man could do the same. Listen to y'all talk. I'm, I'm hearing you key on several different things. One, you as a dad, Darius, you're, you're talking about, you know, where was I? And I wasn't there to protect him. And listen to you, Ivana, you're talking about that mama guilt so many people deal with in the neonatal intensive care unit. This is where I want to focus in a little bit on what we can learn as, as medical professionals, as nurses and doctors, help parents overcome and see through those things that they're dealing with, those emotional difficulties that they're going through in the NICU. How do you think, so thinking back on how this was communicated with you and thinking back on maybe what happened the first day or two, your interaction with the nurses and doctors, what could have been done differently to help us help both of you during this time? So, Vaughn, let me hear from you first. I think the best thing is to just dumb it down because, I mean, yes, I was a nursing major, but when you hear intraventricular hemorrhage, I mean, I didn't know what that meant. I'm hearing ventricles and all this other kind of stuff, and it's it's hard for me to truly process it because I don't really understand. I went back to L&D. And I freaked myself out way more than I needed to because I was still so uneducated about the topic. And so I tried to educate myself. And that's the worst thing you can do. They give you all of these scary statistics and numbers and diagnoses when in reality, none of that could happen or all of it could happen. But you never know until you know. And so I think. If doctors broke it down a little more and kind of explained how, like, we we needed to know more of, like, the anatomy of the brain and what was going on in order to understand what the IVH was. And so I think to kind of go a little bit more in depth and really make sure that you're explaining it to someone as if they have never heard of it before before because they probably haven't. And so I think because of that, I ended up going back to my room, doing a lot of reading. And I just scared myself more than I should have. And so that's probably what what I would say. Darius, what would your words of wisdom be? When we're, as a father, you want to be included just as much as the mom is when it comes to the son. So when it's time to figure out what's going on or it's time to get knowledge about what's going on about your son, the dad wants to know just as much as the mom knows. So we, so what I'm trying to say is like when the mom the dad, the dad loves the son just as much as the mom, even though he's not the one giving the birth. But when it comes to that, all fathers aren't the same. And so when we're getting information, 
I understand that it is easier to go to the mom because they all know, but the mom had the baby. The mom had all the pain. You know, the mom usually got the most love, you know, and so that's who we're going to go to. But that's not always the case because the mom and the dad can have the same amount of love for the boy. And you want to know what's going on with your son. And you want to know it so you can tell the mom. Like, you don't want the mom trying to figure out what's going on and then come back to you. You've been there all day and you have nothing to tell her and you can't tell her what's going on. That's the worst thing because it's like now the mom's clueless, the dad's clueless, but the dad's been there all day. So why? That's good. I think it's a, I was going to summarize a few things that you said. One, the whole kiss principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and sometimes doctors have a really bad job, or, or really do a bad job of making things a whole lot more mm-hmm. difficult and explaining things in the medical language that we attempt to use. And of course, we like trying to pull out statistics mm-hmm. and telling you exactly what's going to happen to your baby, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the oh, only right. thing that is, is really going to matter is your kid. So, so you're right. In many ways, sometimes. 100% chance of something happening, and sometimes it's zero. It's your kid. And then making sure we get the fathers involved in things. So, you know, over the past few weeks, again, y'all have been here in the neonatal intensive care unit for 84 days. Tell me what that has been like and sort of the roller coaster of emotions that you've had and, and what, what, uh, what you've experienced. Mm. Well, then the 84 days has been. <laughs> It's been what you would imagine. When we started, we were here 24-7, not going nowhere. Neither of us had a job. Well, mom had a job, but she, of course, she couldn't work. But we were just here 24-7, day in, day out. Well, I finally had the job that I've been trying to get for months now. And so going back and forth, was kind of, has been kind of hard. But when you have a son here and you get to wake up to him every day and get to see him in there every day breathing, it makes life so much easier. Bonnie, what about you? What has it been like being here for as long as you have? It's been a ride. It's crazy because... I don't know. It just seems like the season to have babies, everybody's pregnant. And so when you're seeing all of these other people who are having babies and everything goes perfectly, it's really hard to watch. And because you just kind of wonder like, well, what did I do wrong? And then you don't get to hold your baby every day. You don't get to feed them bottles or dress them up in cute outfits and do the regular newborn things because that's not what it is. And so it's really hard. It's kind of like you feel almost disconnected and it's really hard to watch him be hooked up to everything and for him to do really well one day and then really bad the next. The roller coaster of emotions is really rough to handle. But I will say this could have been a lot harder than it was, but we have 
found people here, nurses here, who are family more than anything else. There are people who come in and they check on me and they check on Darius and they check on the baby and they cry tears whenever he makes little improvements. And I feel like because of that, it was a lot better than it could have been. And I also think that whenever you're in a NICU, it's very hard. And so sometimes doctors will try to encourage you to, you know, go home, sleep in your own bed, whatever, take a break. But if you know what you think is best for you, I would stick by that because that's what we did. We never left. I have not slept in my own bed in 84 days. I have not slept in a bed in 84 days, and I would not have it any other way. I feel like he has done better with us here than he would have without us because he makes your baby knows when you're there. So I feel like if you want to be there every day and that's something that you can do and still be healthy mentally or whatever it is, I think you should do that. That really helped us just being able to be there. So let's do this. Your NICU journey is about to come to an end. Tell us where you are right now with what's going on and what uh, what next week is probably going to have in store for you. Excited. <laughs> we finna go home, baby. Yes, Man, sir. Everything finally falling in place. It feel like God been giving us obstacles and we've just been thriving. <laughs> and that's all. That's, that's it. We, we ready. So what do you think that's going to be like? And then two, tell me what sort of fears you have about these next steps. You've had nurses around you for 84 <laughs> days and doctors and therapists and all kinds of people coming in and checking on you and you're getting ready to check out and be on your own. What is that going to be like? I think it's going to be scary a little only because I don't know. Whenever you have a preemie baby, even whenever he's a big old chunk, you still see him as a preemie baby and you want to be so fragile with them. You don't want to hurt them. But it's also November and that is flu season, sick season. And so many people know about our little chunk and want to see him and touch him and hold him. And so that's going to be nerve-wracking because we're very protective parents already (laughs) and we surely just don't want anything to jeopardize his health once we finally do get to go home so we just want to make sure that we can take care of him at home as well as they've been taking care of him here good right as we wrap up i want you to give a message to parents who might be listening to this some words of wisdom some words of encouragement before we do that i've got to give you a message because I've heard you say several things as we've been talking about guilt that you've had, about what did I do wrong. And I want you to look me in the eye. You did nothing wrong. Okay, neither one of you. Sometimes we're just dealt really difficult circumstances. And you both have done a remarkable job of dealing with the circumstances that you've been dealt with. Thank you. You're going to make amazing parents. Thank you. So I want you to share some words of wisdom and some words of encouragement from families who might be listening to this in the future. 
you need to hear something good? I would just say, stand by what you believe in, because at the end of the day, you know what's best for you. You know what's best for your baby. And as long as you do that, as long as you know that, you know, you're protecting him, you're doing what's best for him, then you could never be in the wrong. It's never wrong to say no to something. It's never wrong to speak up when you feel uncomfortable about something. And it's never wrong to just ask somebody a question, ask for advice, ask for an opinion. Just do whatever you think is best and don't be scared of it. And like I said, make sure your mindset is right. It's hard, but you fix your mindset. A lot of things will change in your life, I promise you. Yeah. And dads keep dad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I thank both of you for taking the time to sit down and talk to PC today and letting us hear a little bit about what the patient experience is like and what the parent experience is like, especially with what you dealt with, realizing that that Ezekiel had suffered a severe brain bleed, also seeing how really well he's done because of that. And it's going to be exciting to see next steps from him and uh, see how he does as he continues to grow and develop. So again, thank you both for being with us today. Thank you. And thank thanks you. for all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, Tennessee. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.